Hi and welcome to Detox Talks the Detox a podcast where we talk to some of the world's finest leaders about their detox rituals and how they maintain continuity in a world of noise and chaos how they make sure that the criticism that the world puts on them doesn't affect their insight and they still continue to perform as well as they do thanks for tuning in this is Kunal Sundirmani and you are listening to Detox Talks the Detox We have Miri with us, professional storyteller, global head of internships at Microsoft, and a phenomenal human being. Thanks for taking out the time, and welcome to Detox. Hi, thank you for having me. I don't know about phenomenal. I am definitely a human being, like all of us, and so I'm excited to be here. Putting a lot of negativity around. What do you think is the best way to detox yourself and maintain the same bond you maintain with everyone? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, when I saw that coming in, I really loved it because um, I think people, all of us today, have to uh, take a moment to uh, focus on what's important. I think this pandemic has absolutely forced us to slow down, to reflect, to take time for ourselves, and really, truly find an opportunity uh, to be better, to come out better from this. And so, what I do personally, my routine to when I feel a little bit anxious, when I feel maybe even claustrophobic from being home so long, uh, is actually using my mindfulness approach, uh, centering myself. Uh, definitely doing. If I can do some yoga, I'll do some yoga. If not, I'll do some type of meditation. And when I do my meditation, I focus on three major, very strong, positive um, thoughts and and positive uh, feelings, and that is love, peace and hope uh, and sometimes joy so even interchangeably from hope and joy uh, and I think of moments I think of moments on people who have brought me joy who have brought me love uh, and I and I spend five minutes just reliving that moment reliving that experience uh, and really just reminding myself you know bringing bringing myself back from that mind palace encoded memories to relive the moment and really even try to feel the moment from a physical standpoint as much as I can uh, to center my myself and that really works for me it's been it's been really good so it re-energizes me gives me a new sense of sent, uh, you know being centered and then I can go on with the day that that's phenomenal and it's something so necessary because we balance ourselves with what people around us think and all, everything on the outside rather than on the inside yes yes uh, very often most often we focus on the external um, impact that we have from other people, from circumstances, from things we can't control, all the things we can't control. And so we feel out of control because these things are impacting, they're influencing our behaviors and our feelings. But we, you know, we have that power to truly, um, you know, control our own feelings about things, how we are going to respond, respond, our own behavior. And that takes practice. I know a lot of people hear this and it's like, well, how do I do it? Uh, it's a practice. It really is a, you know, taking time to set an intention for your day to wake up in the morning and instead of, you know, reaching out for um, social media or something immediately that will activate your mind, take those first five minutes in the morning and just be thankful that you woke up that morning, that some people didn't wake up. You have a phenomenal can-do attitude, a wife, a mother, <laughs> and a professional storyteller. So amongst that, very often we come at situations like this when it all ends up getting affected and we start procrastinating a lot. We start feeling low. So what yes. do you think is the best way to combat that without it affecting our mental health? 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's attitude, right? I mean, the can-do attitude comes from your own self-motivation. Oftentimes, I used to think, you know, there were, I needed other things to motivate me. And then I learned that I have to have my own set of values and my own set of goals that motivate me. So setting my own core values as a person and saying, I'm setting out to do this in life, I'm setting out to do that, that motivates me as a person. And so I, I look at my goals and I say, for example, hey, I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great wife. I want to be a great worker, a great friend. What, is, what does that mean, right? Um, to be a great friend, I have to connect with my friends. I have to make time for them. I have to make sure they're okay, check in with them. And so that motivates me, the idea that I want to be the best version of me in each of the areas that I am, because I'm not just one thing, you know, I'm so many things. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm so many things. So setting my intention to be the best version of all these different facets of who I am that make up who I am keeps me motivated. That is to me success. And so I think people should consider that. They should consider who they are. They should consider who they are to many other uh, facets of, who, of themselves, not just a worker, but all the things that make up who they are. And what, the, what does it mean for them to be the best? What does success look like in, in, in each of those areas? That's a lot to be motivated about. That's a lot to be thinking about when you think about how you can go out and be the best. And so having a can-do attitude is not necessarily, I can do everything. Sometimes I can't, sometimes I fail and that's okay. But the fact that I tried makes me feel good. The fact that I set an intention to try, uh, it's, it's a good motivator. True. So you genuinely justified, and there's this one line of yours, which I really <laughs> like, that people don't yeah. want to meet Microsoft. They want to meet Miri from Microsoft. So like something we often forget is we always look for B2B, B2C. We look for different strategies, but we never yes. look for edge to edge. And getting that human connection is so evident at a significant responsibility in a company like Microsoft. Uh, how do you detox yourself whenever you need to, given that you speak to so many people and you become a major stakeholder on the human part of a lot of conversations? Yeah, yeah, you, that's a great question. It, it, it can be overwhelming. It can. Um, you know, I connect with many people during the day uh, from all over the world. And it, it is, it is definitely something that requires a little bit of detoxing at the end of the day. One of the things that I learned about myself uh, recently, uh, maybe within the last couple of years, I consider myself an extrovert. That means that I'm actually energized by people. And I am, mm -hmm. uh, I, I am an extrovert. But um, in the last few years, because of the type of work that that I do plus the extra work around, uh, you know, a public profile of speaking engagements and traveling. Um, I actually kind of started com coming into being a hybrid, maybe even an introvert of, I needed a lot more time for myself to regain that energy because being around people for so long can deplete you of the energy. And so detoxing myself is actually learning to say no. Sometimes it's learning my own energy levels and my own, you know, fuel tank, if you will, how much fuel do I get during the day? And, and and how much is depleted during the day so that I don't run out uh, for the rest of the people that matter in my life, my family, and my friends. So really, all of us have different levels of energy, I would say. I didn't know that either. I, I know that it sounds weird, but I just assumed, I, I mean, I can go for hours. I'm a machine sometimes. I'm a workaholic too, so I can go for hours. But I learned that some people can't. Some people have a very, you know, different types of energy levels. And so it's important to recognize what yours is and give yourself and say, hey, uh, 
by two o'clock, by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. I need to just be done with you know monotonous work or school or whatever it is that it's kind of takes up most of your day. And now you have to go re-energize to something that really kind of brings you back and brings you passionate, your passion back and your energy levels back. Because if we keep running on low engine, you know, low fuel, then we can burn out real quick. True. And, and like storytelling is something I personally love on both the sides on telling a story and receiving a story and being so involved in storytelling, storytelling has a great detoxing effect. So how do you practice that on the, on the, on both the sides? Yeah. Storytelling for me has been absolutely a wonderful practice of empathy to myself. Uh, storytelling forces me and forces everyone when it's truly done, you know, with the heart, if it's done with a, a place of authenticity and empathy, when you go deeper into the heart level of stories, it's a self-reflection mode of why am I telling the story? Why am I choosing to share the story? Who are the characters in my story? Uh, why do I want to share this? And beyond that, getting scared, being vulnerable to be able to share those stories. When I make a choice to share a personal story, I evaluate all those things. So it becomes a detoxing effect of my why of why I choose to show a, self, a part of myself that people won't know unless I share that story. So empathy has three levels and the storytelling piece of that is empathy towards yourself. You know, emotional empathy is what we call it. Uh, emotional empathy talks about you recognizing that you are human and then you are vulnerable enough to recognize those emotions that you carry. So when you tell a story, emotions will come out. Stories can be very emotional. And so you self-reflect, why do I feel so strongly about this episode? Why do I feel so strongly about this thing that happened, this moment in my life, or this person who did something to me, or when I did something to one person? So it is a detoxing effect on who you are, on who you've become, on these transformative moments that made up who you are, and the stories that come out of that. That's, that's really phenomenal because often at the recipient side, you never think on the other side, but it really has an effect on both sides. You have a phenomenal vibe to yourself, even while talking now. And so you, you carry a very dynamic persona. So given <laughs> that you've expanded yourself in multiple horizons, so we live in a democracy of criticism. Everyone is ready to give you free advice and everyone criticizes you for everything. Very often, you're able to avoid yourself from criticism that comes from outside. But very often when it comes from people you're close to, how do you make sure it doesn't hurt you and detox from it without letting it affect you in a place where it shouldn't? Yeah, what a wonderful question. Uh, you know, for me, I learned that I had to bring levels and compartmentalize people into different levels of why I care. If my mother, for example, says, hey, Miri, I don't like your book. I read your book and I don't like it. Uh, well, it, it bothers me. It's my mom. I wish she would like my book, but she's not my audience. She's not who I wrote the book for, right? My mom, I didn't write the book for, for my mom. I wrote the book for communications and marketing professionals. And so if a professional field, the person that, that my targeted audience comes to me and says, hey, Mary, this book is not valuable to me. Then I care even more than I would my mom because that is my target audience. So what I've learned is whenever I choose to give something to people of myself, when I produce content, when I produce and when I go in and give a speech, when I, when I, whatever I do, whatever I give to people, when I choose my audience, when I target that audience, it detoxes me to understand 
I'm targeting this audience. Anything around that is not my audience. So those are just mm -hmm. haters or those are people that just choose to criticize. And I don't need to spend my energy back to that energy level. I can't spend all my energy wasted really on these people's criticisms because the content was not for them. And so I have grown to learn, to understand that piece so much so that I tune out those people if it's not targeted to them. I appreciate sometimes the feedback and some people are well intended too. Others are not, others are really haters, but even the ones that are well intended, they don't get it. It's not for them, right? So if I deliver a piece for a young woman in tech, which typically will be my target audience and somebody else who's not that talks to me, I'm like, well, this wasn't for you. Thank you for the opinion, but I don't care. That idea really, really frees you. It frees you from caring so much about others that it paralyzes you from doing things outside. Go and do things. I actually just wrote an email back to one of the students. I said that he's like, I'm trying to write a blog and I'm so scared about what people are going to say. And I'm like, why? Why do you care? Unless it's your target audience and your audience will probably love it because you're dedicating content to them. So a lot of times we freeze ourselves, we stop ourselves from doing and giving to the world because we think people are going to say something. Well, guess what? They are. People will always have an opinion and that shouldn't stop you from what you're going to go do. That's true. And it happens so often. So like currently you have a great way of dealing with it. But over the early years of your career, until you came at a point where you were able to accept it and deal with the criticism while analyzing if it actually is something worth pondering over. So was there oh. any point of recollection or epiphany which got you to, to this point? Yeah, you know, I used to suffer a whole lot because of it. I used to spend a lot of time uh, evaluating, reevaluating myself. What wasn't I doing right? Why don't people love me? Why don't people like me? What did I do wrong? Over and over, I would drive myself insane. And then uh, it came to a point, I think it was my early 30s. It was part of my own decision to brand myself when I decided to brand myself for a purpose and have a targeted audience with my brand to serve a targeted cohort. That was my moment of reckoning of saying, I'm just going to go out and serve a specific you know, group and audience and anybody else around that doesn't matter. And whatever they say to me doesn't matter because they're not my audience. And so it was more of an action step to target um, people that I wanted to serve in the community, my gift back to them. And I found it very gratifying when my target audience audience tuned into me and sought me out and were really receptive. So for as much hate that I get or some haters, I get a lot more people that love me and, and really receive me because I want to serve them. Well, that's, that's a great way to look at it. So very often today, authenticity is very rare. People prefer acting like Bill Gates rather than acting like themselves. And given that when authenticity is such a rare jewel, because storytelling is so deep that it puts a much deeper impact and people mm -hmm. often end up relating themselves to a fake story just to sound cool out there. To be authentic and to be true to your own story. Yeah, I would say always begin with your origin story. That is who you are. That's where you came from. That's the Oops. transformative moments. Um, and you will never deviate from that. That's actually what makes your story unique and extraordinary is the things that have happened to you, right? I'm no extraordinary person. I'm just a person. I'm a normal person. I, I haven't, you know, I haven't gone to the moon. I haven't done amazing things. I've just lived my life with a vocation uh, to excellence uh, and my core values. And so that has enabled opportunities in my life. But I have a very, very important origin story. I, you know, I came from a very poor family home. 
um, to the United States. And so I never forget that. And I tell it over and over because I took time to create that origin story and I recommend that people do the same. Right. Stay connected to your roots is something we speak about, but very often we step back when it's when we actually get a chance to do it. Yeah. People think that, you know, it's oftentimes I get questions around, well, my story is not extraordinary or I didn't, you know, I didn't do this. And I, it, it, but it, it doesn't have to be. You'll find that through your own life journey, you have lived some moments that people can relate to. You've learned some things that life has taught you that people want to know about and want to learn about. So that wisdom that found that insight, it's something that you can offer the world. You know, I've lived right. moments that have taught me things and because I've lived them and so so have you and so has everybody else. So if we if we talk about those learnings, that's an insight that nobody else has because you're the one who got to live it. And so that's why those moments are important to share and to talk about. Authenticity, it's so rare, but it's so necessary. So, uh, so any such experience where, uh, while growing up, where you realize that I, that this is why I need to stay authentic to myself. Anything that really relates to you directly? Yeah, you know, I for me it was really understanding of my own core values. I was brought up, you know, in a, I'm a Latina woman, uh, very religious parents, and and really. Um, this idea of a very male-dominated community and, and culture that I was brought into. But I was very gregarious. I was like an extrovert. I wanted to ask questions. I was, I was curious. And that often was not received well. You know, I was always asking questions and women were seen, not heard. And so um, I was often having this kind of a conflict with myself and my own personality of being out there, but not really being allowed to. And so for me, it was really important to find that moment as I grew up, as I got older of my own purpose and my own values. That was what for me changed everything in, in the way that I was going to move forward. I think that's really important for everyone to do, to define your own values and really divorce some ideals that may seem antiquated in your journey for your life. You are the CEO of your life. And something I really love about Microsoft is the culture. I remember reading this book uh, by, by Mr. Nadella, I think uh, two years back called Hit Refresh. Uh -huh. I think that completely changed how I analyzed culture uh, within my companies itself and, and just seeing culture as not another thing but as the thing to consider. Being at a, at a senior post at a company which has such strong culture values, was there anything as such which came out from that in terms of expression of the culture within your personal life too? A hundred percent. And I think that for me, it was absolutely an incredible moment when Satya did write that book and he went on to talk about empathy as a culture differentiator from Microsoft, uh, the core values that we had. I was there before Satya. He came in six years ago. I've been at Microsoft eight years. So for the first two years, it was what we call the Balmer days. Uh, it was a very sales-driven approach to the business. Uh, it was a, a more kind of bottom line driven approach. And Satya brought in this idea of humanity, of empathy, of leading with, um, you know, with authenticity. And those core values really aligned with what I was at the time myself going through and really looking at my own journey and my own um, origin story and to see what my values were. And I think it's very important for everyone to 
when they consider working for a company or even building a company for entrepreneurs, aligning those values to your personal values is very important. What will the company stand for as an entity in society? If it's something you work for a company that you don't align your values to, it's time to reevaluate because that depletes you of who you are. And then you become an authentic yourself for being somewhere where you're not aligned to the value. So I was uh, going through your LinkedIn profile and I really loved the way you put a mother within there. So in different stages of your life so like specifically when switching from one stage to another you often carry a part of the first stage so do you try detoxing yourself from that one before switching to the other stage <laughs> no I don't I don't because I think one prepares me for the other I had a mentor that really taught me this many years ago he said right. um, you will never get to the next step until you are ready and I was like well how will I know I'm ready how will I know I'm ready? <laughs> you will never you will never get to the next step until you know you're ready and it used to drive me crazy by saying that because I was just like just tell me I'm ready I'm ready right now but it's a true idea of you know the life that we live the moments that we've had the career choices we've made, uh, even the jobs that we've hated uh, have taught us something and have prepared us for the next step. So I don't necessarily detox from the experience. I detox from any negative moments that I had. And I want to remind myself that that experience, including the negative moments, have taught me something positive. So the detox um, approach is look back and say, wow, I came from here. This is my last job. Did I love it? Did I hate it? doesn't matter. What did it teach me? And how did it prepare me for the next step to give me that, that made me ready uh, to take the next job. So uh, that approach has really helped me understand that um, my life is really a bunch of puzzle pieces, things mm-hmm. that have happened, have just kind of built this entire puzzle and one thing really is connected to the other. <laughs> Appreciation and gratitude to such uh, so important things again. Yes. So balancing work life and personal life is, has been a question for most people and now with the new setup coming in role in almost every place of the world, there's a lot of anxiety buildup that has come in. So uh, balancing both of them in such a phenomenal manner, what do you think would be the best way for anyone to balance them when they're working from home today in the new setup which is done for almost every company however conventional it may be yeah you know i actually i wrote a few months ago back actually in november um about that specific piece there really is no balance of work and life there really is more of an embracing of the flow of your life um you know there's going to be times just like now where things are blurred home and work life are blurred lines and and you wake up in your home and then you know your children or your parents or the dog there's so much going on and so it's not balancing it it's truly just blending it the best way that you can and managing it and giving yourself limitations and giving yourself again evaluating your own levels of energy and say today i don't have a lot of energy so i'm going to spend more time in my room you know versus out there with everybody or today i have a lot of energy let's go out and let's take a walk and so really measuring what your feelings are uh, really important to be empathetic again to yourself to understand your feelings and see how you're feeling given it each day and so that you're able to embrace the day in your best form. I love the idea of looking at it as a flow. So currently a lot of people speak to a lot of people similar to something what you do uh, are really feeling that void specifically when they live alone. So what do you think is the best way to make sure that the void coming up due to lacking physical conversation doesn't affect their mental state? 
Yeah, you know, I think I think there's many different ways. I think the first way that I've looked at it, because I, like I said before, I am definitely an extrovert. And right. so I am energized by people. So I find it very hard these days to have been locked up for so long, not being connected to people the way that I, you know, I feel their energy in person. So it's really hard for me to just, you know, FaceTime doesn't do it for me. So uh, <laughs> one of the things that I learned is spending time with myself. Oftentimes we're so busy with work, with school, with the outside activities that we often don't take a lot of time to reflect and spend time with ourselves, uh, loving ourselves, liking ourselves. We're going to spend the rest of our lives with ourselves, right? So a lot of this mental chatter, um, putting it aside and talking to myself, reflecting myself, uh, seeing how much I like about myself or don't like and what can I change? The things that I've learned or I have evolved into, I'm definitely not the same person I was two years ago, five years ago. So who am I today? What am I going to go do next? What will happen to me and how can I pivot best after this pandemic? So there's a lot of time spent instead of me going, oh man, I, I wish I could go to my friend's house. Uh, because I'm not going to my friend's house, I can spend time with myself and do that self-reflection. Uh, the other one is, you know, I'm always personally connected with um, my family and my friends and my network and digitally. I, like I said, I'm a very connected person. So that's something that I often do uh, very much, but I've taken a little extra time to do more. So before I would possibly send a text to check in with my friends. Now I'm taking time to actually do a FaceTime and, and schedule an hour, an hour or even write a note to them. And so, so really finding different ways and extended ways to connect with people and not feel that disconnection uh, that is so strong. I'm loving the fresh perspective out of the conversation. Moving to the second part of the conversation around your role as the head of internships at Microsoft. So currently, a lot of students have, from a lot of companies and from a lot of different places have realized that their jobs or internships aren't happening this year. And that's really putting up a major anxiety buildup. What do you think is the best way for them to combat it without it affecting their mental health? Yeah, you know, I think it's important um, for students, for really everyone to recognize that these are uncertain times, that these are, you know, times that we, unprecedented times that we did not uh, foresee by any means. And so first having a little bit of compassion for themselves and for the companies that are, are you know, are being impacted on many levels. There's the schools, the organizations, everyone who had a program and now the program has had to be impacted in some way. Um, having that understanding that this is happening all over the world, that there are so many, there's, there's so many layers of impact to everyone. Uh, and with that understanding, also being grateful, honestly, that, you know, the anxiety comes from, oh, me, 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 what happened to me? What's going to happen next to me? And this self-centeredness approach, if we can actually zoom out of that and really take a look at what's happening to the entire world. When we look at the idea that, you know, some internships may have been canceled or the schools uh, may have shifted their programs uh, versus there's actual people dying right now. So when we take the, t the time to zoom out and move away from our own perspective and really take in what's happening in the world, it's a better way to 
deal and cope with uh, this entire moment that's going on uh, in history. Not in by no ways diminishing the actual anxiety that everyone is having. And, and I do want people to take time to reflect on those emotions, but don't get stuck there. Uh, do reflect and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety. I'm a little angry. Uh, you know, my son is graduating this year. He won't get to walk his ceremony. Uh, that's unfair. There's a lot of unfairness going on for everyone at different layers. And it's okay to feel it. It's okay to talk about it. But don't get stuck there in a way that it's going to impact you so negatively uh, that you can't move away from that, right? So, so acknowledge it. Uh, mourn it, mourn the experience, mourn what could have been and wasn't, and then move on to what could be positive and focus on that. So we're going to move on to the final round. That's the rapid fire round. So here it's about 10 seconds for each question at maximum. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the moment you answer, the moment you say the last syllable, try to keep it less than three words. And the moment you say the last syllable, uh, I put on the next question. Oh, geez. Okay, let's do this. What do we got? Okay, tell me whenever you're ready. Okay, ready, go. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Mac or Windows? Windows. Burger King or McDonald's? Oh, neither. I don't eat those. <laughs> you woke up in 2030, what will you search on Google? Myself. A first thing you would do after the lockdown ends? Oh, geez. Um, I think I'm going to go to Florida, where my mom is. Beaches or mountains? Beaches, 100%. A Las Vegas or Ibiza? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be able to copy and paste in real life or undo in real life? Copy paste. Uh, what's something you've tried that you'll never try again? Oh, uh, skiing. What is the one food that you would never give up? Sushi. Great. <laughs> Thanks a lot for taking out the time. I'm glad. Thank you. You just heard an episode on the Detox Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, whether it is Spotify or iTunes. We are there.